Jesse, I pray that, I, I ask that you give us two weeks instead of one. Don't, uh, don't base everything on me. I'm, I'm, I'm the fill-in. We do have a good pastor here, but I'm filling in today. So I pray, give us two weeks. Come back and see him next week. For, yeah. Well, I, 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 it's a good opportunity. I'm, I'm excited about it. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to see what God's word has for us, okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray that this body would be one, that we would be unified, God, that we would love each other. We would put each other first at all times. God, I pray that as we come before you and we come into your presence right now, God, that you would do something great, that you would show us things that we've never seen before. God, I pray that you'd place an excitement and a burning in the hearts of these people to want to learn more about you. Despite of anything I say today, God, I pray that they'll leave here wanting to know more about you and that they will seek you out and seek your word. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the freedom to read it. God, I thank you that there's, everything we need for life is in it, God. I pray that each one of us would use it that way. And God, I pray that you would make this a blessing to everyone here. Give them something to share. And God, I pray that as, as I bring this before, before these people, God, that you would, you would humble your servant and that uh, my words today would be your words. In your name, amen. So I found out on Thursday that I was going to get to pray, to preach um, this week. And that may sound like plenty of time to everybody. But normally if I preach, I've got like six hours in by Thursday. You know, I've got everything mapped out. I've got, my, I've got an outline, everything written. So to find out on Thursday, um, my confidence is, is a little lower than usual. My, I'm not quite as, as there as I usually am. So I want to tell you what I did, because I think it has something to do with today's service. So Thursday night, it was 8.30 at night, and that giant storm system was coming through, right? And um, it was just starting. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to just go clear my head. I'm just going to go walk, right? I'll just, I'll just, I don't know what I'm going to preach about, so I need to go walk a little bit. And I le- I, when I left my steps, there was this beautiful heavy snow coming down, just Heavy as could be. You saw how, I mean, how many trees have been knocked down because of that snow. And I started walking. I started praying, of course. Um, and I, I prayed like I normally do. And this is how I normally pray. God, humble your servant. God, I just pray that you would be truly powerful and present in church this Sunday. I pray that you would be preparing hearts for whatever you have for this body of believers. And I kept walking. And I kept praying and thinking. And I've been thinking about Tuesday night Bible study. I've been thinking about other things that are going on in my life. Like, what's been powerful? I want to bring something that's powerful to you guys today. I don't want to just come and tell you a story. I want to bring something that means something. And so after getting like a quarter mile down the road, this crazy, it felt like a crazy thing happened. All right? So I realized I was no longer walking snow. I was walking in a downpour of rain. And I turned around, and literally for me to that wall, that was a sheet of snow. And I was standing in a sheet of rain. And there was something so amazingly powerful about being on the edge of a storm. Right? That's what it felt like. It felt like 
I was on the edge of a storm. I could see the whiteout behind me, five feet this way, downpour of rain, no snow on the ground, no nothing. I kept walking in the rain. That was kind of a silly thing, but I kept walking in that rain, and I just thought, huh. So my prayer changed a little bit then. My prayer changed. My voice changed. My thoughts changed. And instead of how I was praying, this is how I started to pray. God, I want you to show your power to your children. God, I pray that if it takes the earth shaking when your scripture is read in churches for people to wake up this week and want to follow you, I pray that that would happen. I pray that you would revive hearts. I pray that you would change this church. I pray that you would change this town for you. I pray that your hand would be so powerful on these people they couldn't ignore it. There's nothing to ignore. There's nothing in this world that they could possibly ignore your hand on them. I pray that our hearts and our prayers would no longer be limited by our limited minds and that we would be open to everything you truly have that's possible for us today. So what changed in my prayer? That first, chair, that first prayer wasn't bad. But the second prayer, I remembered who I was praying to. I remembered what was possible with who I was praying to. My confidence went from a two to a ten because, to be honest, I could come up, I could show up here. Now, I, I did work hard. Of course I worked hard. But I could show up here and say three sentences, and God could use all three of those sentences in different ways in all of your minds and hearts, right? It's God that's going to do the work today, whether I stink at talking or not. God is going to be the one that does the work. And when I remembered that, my confidence, like I said, went to a 10. And I also kind of realized what I wanted to talk about today. And I wanted to talk about this amazing tool that we have. It's pretty much the only power we really have in the whole world. And that's our prayer. Because it's, it's the one that taps the source. It's the one that taps the source for true power. Being on the edge of that storm, that's really just a speck on the world that's a speck in the universe, and yet God's so creative that a storm like that has an edge, that he thought about it like that. That storm didn't think twice about causing the damage that it did, right? That's amazing, that power. So today, I want to bring you to a place where you're excited about prayer. Is everybody excited to be here? Are we excited to be here? Is this the most exciting thing you're going to do all week? I hope so. But I want to get you newly excited about prayer. I want to, when you spend so much time in prayer, that it's obvious when God works. That's where I want you to be. You've spent so much time talking to him that when he moves, you're like, oh, I was just praying for that. Oh, I was just seeing that. Oh, wow, look at that, look at that. Because he's doing that all around you all the time. So today we're going to look at something that seems impossible. Everybody here has something they're probably thinking about or facing that could seem impossible to them. And if my premise is that anything is possible with this powerful prayer, I'm going to give you an example of what seemed impossible, what the church did about it, and how we can practically do what they did. Okay, so that's sort of my three parts. Looking at what's impossible, looking at the church's response, and then looking at some practical ways that we can break through. Okay, so take a look at your notes. Hopefully everybody got a bulletin. There's a simple page in there with notes on it, places for you to write. And in that top box, 
it says um, to write the first name of a person. If you don't want to write them down, just fix it in your head, okay? The first name of a person who you feel like will never come to know Christ because you've been praying for them for so long, all right? Somebody you've been praying for a year or 15 years or 30 years, somebody who you, it matters so much to you. You're afraid you're going to go into eternity and they're not going to be there with you. But they don't seem any closer to becoming a Christian now than when you first started praying for them. I want you to fix that person in your mind, okay? Because that, to me, I've got some people in my life who I feel like it's impossible. There's some atheists that I love really a lot. And we've had 15 years of conversation already and they, it doesn't feel like they're any closer to me. That feels impossible, and that's scary because that person has a different eternity than I do, and I don't want that. I want them to be with me, all right? So I want everybody to just fix that person in your head because we're going to talk about how we overcome this impossible thing, okay? <clears throat> all right, so if everybody's got one, I'll give you a couple more seconds, but write one, and then we're going to move right on. Um, think, of, think of one or two people, and when you're ready, turn with me to the book of Acts, Chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19 is our scripture for today. As you're turning, um, I'm going to give you a little context because I like context, but it's going to be short. For anybody who doesn't know what the book of Acts really is, the book of Acts is a historical account of what the church did after Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, does everybody believe first it's a historical account? Amen? It's a historical account, right? Because we're about to talk about some things that sound impossible. It's a historical account, okay? And this book was written by Luke, and it depicts how the Holy Spirit came down in the beginning. It depicts how men and women of this church were scattered. When people started to think differently, the leadership of the Jewish church did not like that. They scattered them. They persecuted them which just spread the gospel like wildfire. And there went from 1,000 to 100,000 really fast. And they're causing a lot of problems for everybody. They believe differently than the Jewish church. It depicts men and women who are burned at the stake and yet love each other in a way that the world's never seen before. They're being persecuted, but they're selling everything they have for each other. People around me have been hearing a lot lately that I believe the word church is a verb. Church is not a noun. Church is not a place, right? Church is a verb. Church is literally you guys acting out of love for each other. And when I get most pumped up about the church being a verb, it's in the book of Acts. Because their example is the greatest example we have about how we as a body act toward each other when we're really doing church. And if you read through the book of Acts, you look at church differently than just coming and sitting and listening. Okay, so we pick up this historical account. All right, we'll see how you respond to this. We're going to do something different. I believe that when God's word is read, that it's the most important thing. I had a Bible study teacher for a long time. who, If anybody spoke while God's word was being read, he was the kindest man you've ever known. But if you wanted to see him get angry, you were speaking while he was reading the God's word. So I want to give it a little bit of... Um, Reverence today. I want you to stand, if you can. We're going to stand while I read Acts 12, 1 through 19. Just get a little more exercise, that's all. All right, Acts 12, 
1 through 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw what this, that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. When the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter, he said, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord was, has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she insisted that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went to Judea, from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Thank you. You may be seated. I appreciate you standing for that. So we're going to just unpack this a little bit, and then we're going to go right to the heart of this chapter. It feels, it's, it's a fairly simple story in a lot of ways, but the heart of it, I think, is not quite as simple. So we have Herod persecuting the Jews. Persecuting means lots of things, right? In this case, he brought James in, one of the disciples, and had him killed by the sword. This got the Jews kind of excited um, because maybe this new church of Christ mimickers who are doing all these things that we don't like is going to lose a little bit of power. So they're kind of excited. And Herod, who likes his people happy, not complaining, not giving him a hard time, thinks, this is how I'm going to get the people to like me a little more. I'm going to kill these guys. And at the same time, Get, the church, get rid of the church. 
So, first James comes in, brother of John, without any, literally in one verse, they kill him with a sword. That's, that's what happened. This is considered the first martyrdom by many historians that James was the first one to be martyred. Um, other than Judas, who killed himself, and John, who was sent to an island, the rest, historic, history tells us, were martyred in many different ways, including Peter. Tonight was not his night, but including Peter. So James dies by the sword. Jews get excited. Now, anybody who knows anything about James and John, what were they called? The brothers of, does anybody know? They were called the brothers of something. Their, their father was Zebedee, right? They were, they were called thunder, right? Sons of thunder, right? There's, when people, are, people close to that time describe James, he was outspoken, a good speaker, outspoken, but he could get a little bit ticked. So, small community, many Jews probably have heard James talking very passionately for Christ. We're about 11 years in now. Christ has ascended. We're about 11 years in. They get excited. Look, one of the mouthpieces, one of the most influential has been killed. Herod, okay, this is good. I'm going to bring Peter in. We'll keep this thing going. Now, you can't miss the fact that Herod doesn't take any chances with Peter because Peter was a ninja, right? No, Peter was not a ninja. Why did he need 16 guards, four sets of four guards and two chains? And even while he slept, we're going to chain you to two guards. Not because he was a ninja. These people had seen miracles. These people, many of whom, saw Christ after his death. So Herod's like, I'm not taking any chances with Peter. I'm going to put 16, I'm going to overkill this thing as much as possible. 16 guys. Now Peter knows he's likely going to be put to death. James was just killed. He's likely next. They're likely to make an example out of him. He also, many have heard, there's whole chapters in the Bible that are his sermons, right? Powerful sermons exhorting everybody. This one's going to be good. They're going to make an example out of Peter. So put yourself in that place. Don't think of jails like you think of now. Jails back then were not like that. They didn't feed you in jail then. If you didn't have loved ones that would come feed you, you didn't eat. You died. They were awful. There was no place to go to the bathroom. And he is sleeping. Somehow he's sleeping between two stinky guards. What does this tell you about Peter? He know, he's not stupid. He knows what's coming the next day. And yet he, somehow he's sleeping through this. Peter's secure. Peter's secure. He knows they can't, all they can do is take his body. And maybe God's going to rescue him. Either way, Peter's secure. His soul is secure. He's, he's okay enough to sleep through the night before you're going to be executed. You guys, I'll let you think about that. If you knew the next day you were going to be executed, if you could sleep between two giant guards with chains on, it would be difficult. And they had a lot of interesting ways to kill you back then. None of them pleasant. They would be considered inhumane now. And he's thinking, maybe I'm going to get one of those. And yet he's sleeping. So the situation that he's in seems completely impossible, right? 16 guards. He's not a ninja. He's not going to slip out of there by himself. Two big chains, and God has other plans. 
So my key verse today is the fifth verse in Acts 12, and it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So we have an impossible situation, and it drove the church to do what? If I asked my atheist friends what those people were doing to get him out of jail, they would say, well, they got together and babbled at each other for no good reason. He's never going to get out, right? Literally, they're doing nothing physical to get him out of jail. They don't have an army. They're not going to go storm the gates. They're going to stay up all night, and they're going to pray. The reason I've keyed in on this verse is because of this. God didn't need them to pray to free Peter. He didn't need him to. He's going to build their faith. He's going to build their testimony. He knows there's a lot coming for these people. He's going to answer their prayer. He looked down and saw the hearts of these people and said, I'm going to show you something pretty spectacular. And one thing I want everybody here to get is God does that for you too. There's nothing different between now and then except the society tells us it's different. Right? He can do things that will build your faith every single day. And the next time something happens, you won't be afraid. You've seen great things. He'll continue to show you great things just like this. All right, we're going to break the verse down because it's a short one and it's easy. The first part is what we just covered. It's the problem. It's the impossibility of escape. It's 16 guards to one guy who's asleep. So part two is the church's response. And this is where we're going to get um, deeper in. The text doesn't say a couple of disciples were praying. It says many people were gathered. The church was all gathered in the middle of the night. They were up. They were active in this way. They were practicing obedience to the Lord. What do we do when things seem impossible? What do you do when things seem impossible? Might pray, might give up, might want to curl up into a ball, worry about it, lots of anxiety about it. If I asked you, if you got a call from me at two in the morning and I wanted you to come pray for me, pray with me, and it was just because God had laid a name of somebody on my heart, would you do it? I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Would I have the guts to ask you is probably the bigger question right? Would I have the guts to say, I need you. I need you with you. You're part of my family. There's somebody in trouble. I want you to pray with me. It'd probably be harder to even ask than for you to get up at two in the morning and come be with me. So <clears throat> what I'm telling you is this. I was looking at the statistics about medications for sleep, Okay. And the, the amount of us that take medications to sleep is astronomical. Sleep is important. We all have to sleep to survive, right? And we, need eight hours, we all need eight hours or six hours or whatever it is, right? It's astronomical. You know, part of my premise today is maybe God's keeping you up for a reason. That is not to discount people who need to sleep, can't sleep, and need medications. That's fine. But what I am saying is that's the only time you're quiet, that's the only time God can actually talk to you a lot of times. That's the only time you don't have screens in your face. God might be keeping you up for a reason. And I'm just saying it's okay to lose one night of sleep for the kingdom of God. 
One night of sleep for the kingdom of God might be pretty important. A lot of times we want to medicate those feelings out because they're the hardest ones. The ones that keep us up, they're the hardest ones. Sorry. So, think back. You don't have to answer. Nobody answer because this is, this is tough. When was the last time you prayed for an hour? Just think back. A solid, a, one solid hour of prayer or two solid hours of prayer. Do we agree that it would be important enough to pray that long? If I asked any one of you in the hallway, if you asked me, I would say the same thing. But when was the last time I did it? When was the last time I prayed for two hours straight, three hours straight, like it was that important? Just think back on that. It's, when was the last time you prayed a new prayer? Anybody pray anything new lately? You know what I mean by that? Isn't it amazing how we talk to the creator of the universe? <laughs> I'm going to use this and my wife will have to listen to it later. If my relationship with my wife, if the communication that I try to have with my wife was the same as that which I have with my creator, it wouldn't be very good. If I just came in and repeated religious terms over and over again and then said goodnight, that would not be a very good communication. And why do we think our relationship with our father is any different? It isn't. He doesn't, he doesn't need to hear you say the same things over and over again. You have a relationship with him, right? Now, you might have the same things on your heart, but you're talking to him in a, in a new way. Every day, it's new to you. It's fresh to you. You've read his word, and now you have something to, to pray about. If I did that in my wife, and it went something like every single day, got, you know, I walk in, it would be great if you had dinner on the table. Please provide you know, my nourishment for the day. I need my socks cleaned. Um, all of that. And then I would get to the end, and how do we shut off a prayer? We say amen, good night. Right? That's all. See you later. I don't need any other input. I'm just saying good night. Right? Your Heavenly Father... It's a two-way relationship with him, just like it would be with your spouse, just like it would be with your parents, with anybody, with your family, all right? So that's going to bring me to the next part of the verse here. And it says, they prayed to God. Some of your translations say unto God, which sounds really, really good. And some of you are thinking, yeah, no kidding. Who, who else are they going to pray to, right? They're going to pray to God. That's who they're going to pray to. I'm pausing here because the elephant in the room about prayer is, do you always feel like praying? Do you always pray? No one's forcing you to pray, right? No one's making me pray. I don't always feel like praying. And when I start, sometimes I feel no connection and I feel like my, my words are bouncing off the walls and I'm just talking to myself. And then what do I do when that happens? Sorry, God, it's not working out tonight. Sorry, God, I, I don't know what else to do. It's been five minutes, and I've, I don't have any fuzzy feelings. I'm going to sleep. I may not, I'm probably not saying that to God, but in essence, I've done that, right? I've done that. I'm getting nowhere. I feel like I'm getting nowhere. God, why haven't you answered all my prayers yet? Why isn't everything fixed yet? I don't feel anything. There's nothing. My feelings, oh, man, my feelings. I don't feel anything. So why do you think that is? 
Because I've also experienced the other, right? You've also probably experienced very powerful times in prayer. You've experienced times that are meaningful to you, and you feel like God really is answering prayer, and, and you do know what he's saying, and his word is making sense with what's going on in your life. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, sure, us. Us is the difference, right? We are so focused on our words a lot of times. We're so focused on what we're going to say and that it's just going to be just right that God will answer it because our words are so good. We think a lot about what we're going to say. And we forget that we're approaching the, the throne of God Almighty. It doesn't sink in. How often does it happen? And this, I'm guilty of this too. How often does it happen that we spend more time talking prayer requests than actually praying? We do that all the time. It feels good to talk about it. If God has laid something on your heart, I challenge you to pray for it right then. Pray for it. And then when we get together, you will already have been praying for it. And those prayer requests are different than when you've already been praying for something. You've got some work in already. You've got some relationship with the Father already. And your prayer requests change. It becomes a little more meaningful to those around you. And then we pray together. And then you see some change happen. We think about our words, and we think about our day and our struggles. And when you do that, before you approach God, your words are often, what's a good word, tepid, lukewarm. You're not expecting much. The day was really tough. I kind of feel like you let me down, God, maybe, or, or something. Can God still hear you when you talk like that? Of course he can. Of course he can. Can God still act on those words? Of course he can. He does. But are you really praying with a vision of who you are praying to? Do you think about the Holy Spirit at all? The Holy Spirit, there's an activity going on here. Prayer is is something happening. The Holy Spirit is indwelled in you and will teach you how to pray. It then communes with Christ, the Holy Spirit, who you have no right to be in that throne room of God until those scars show up. Those scars are what let you through the door. You have no right to be in that room. Your sins stop you from being in that room. Do you remember that when you're going up? Holy Spirit, teach me. Jesus, please, thank you so much for what you've done for me. And then whatever you're about to say next is said in the presence of Holy God in his throne room with hundreds of thousands of angels who just sing his praises all day long. You think about prayer like that, your prayers change. You can't be tepid when you think about that. You're going to expect something. You're going to expect something, and you're also going to think about what you say. If I had a meeting with this president or any president, I would think first about what I went in and asked for. If he said I could ask for anything, don't you think I'd think that through? I would, I would not ask just for myself for a million dollars, probably. I would think that through. There's no difference between what you're about to go and pray for in front of the Holy Father. So that action is praying unto God. These people were praying unto God in a, in a way that meant something to them. They thought they were going to lose Peter. All right, let me give you an example of just something lately that's happened about praying differently. Because I always want to pray differently. If I don't actively put that into my life, my, my prayers become rote 
and I say the same things over and over again. I have to be mindful that I want to pray a little differently. This Tuesday night at Bible study, we devoted the entire hour and a half to just praying for Pastor Jesse. The book um, chapter we were going through was about dedicating ourselves to prayer for our leadership. And he wasn't going to be there. So we thought, I thought, it's a perfect night just to dedicate time to him. He's been sick. He's got lots of things going on. Let's pray for him. But I challenged everybody to pray in a different way. And we came up with ideas. And I'm going to share a few of them um, with you. We prayed for his protection. We prayed for his time, for his study. And then we, we prayed that the fire inside him to be better would burn bright. Anybody who knows Jesse knows that he's got a fire to be better. He wants his sermons to be better. He wants to be a better shepherd all the time. We prayed that that fire would be stoked in him. We prayed that memorizing his message would come easy. Most people don't think about that. It's hard to memorize your message. I'm clearly reading some notes here, right? If you memorize your message, it frees you up to do lots of other things. We prayed that jokes would come easily to him. We prayed that he would have a heart for others even if he had a bad day. We prayed that he'd be able to have stories to integrate into his sermons that would move his hearts. We prayed that he would have opportunities to practice his faith. We did not pray these things because Jesse is deficient in our eyes, right? We didn't pray this because we just want him to be better. In fact, if he were there, he would have been uncomfortable because the nice things that were being said about him, he wouldn't have been able to sit in that room. We were praying this because we know the only way that he's going to really fully achieve what God has for him is prayer. We can, we can give him um, feedback. We can encourage him. But if we want him to be the pastor that he wants to be, the power is in prayer. The power that's going to change his life is in prayer. I don't know if everybody else went back and prayed differently. And I don't know if any of you will pray differently after today. I can guarantee you, though, if you do, Jesse's going to live a different life. Jesse's life will be different because it matters to God that his people care. It matters to God that they're taking time to pray for their pastor. And he will live a life that is blessed, that is challenging, and he will have all sorts of opportunities because of you, because of you guys. I hope, I hope, I hope we can dedicate five minutes a day to Jesse and see what life he can have. All right. Move on to the next part of the verse. And it's just the word how they prayed, right? Earnestly or uh, fervently is probably in some of your Bibles. I like both of those words. Both of those words are great. The idea of this word is the level of passion, right? If you pray fervently, you're praying passionately. You're not praying tepidly, like I said before. These people were praying with broken hearts. It looked like Peter was done for. He was their friend. He was their mentor. He was one of their leaders. They were broken. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I think everybody gets it. I'm just going to use parents as an example really quickly. I, I've prayed for my kids every day since my, I had a kid, probably before that. And prayers for kids can look like a lot of different things. When I pray for who they're going to be, who they're going to become, it's almost like sort of subdued for some reason. It's like a God do with them what you would kind of thing. When I'm praying about their behavior, I'm probably a little anxious in that moment because I probably just dealt with a situation or something. I might have been rushed through that kind. 
But when I spent the week in the hospital with Lydia, and we weren't sure if her brain was ever going to work again, and we didn't know what was going on, I prayed passionately. There was no, there was no tepidness in me. There was no lukewarm in me. I prayed passionately, and then I got down on that horrible hospital floor, and I prayed more passionately. And then I figured out, how am I going to keep myself awake for the rest of this week? Because nothing else seems as important to me as having Lydia's name in the father's ears, right? I didn't care about sleep. I I didn't care about, my alarm was going off every 30 minutes so that I would stay awake and pray because that was all that mattered to me at that moment. This is the kind of prayer these people were praying. They were passionate. They were fervent. They wanted to see something happen. So much so that when he's knocking on the door, (laughs) this is amazing, that when he's knocking on the door, they don't answer it. (laughs) They're so focused on this prayer that the young girl who goes out and hears Peter's voice and comes back, of course, she forgets to open the door. She's so excited. Guys, guys, you guys are praying. You guys are praying. He's out there. Would you... Hush, we're praying for Peter right now. Go on. No, no, it's really him. We need to have your head examined. We're praying right now. Would you get out of this room? Can you imagine this? And Peter all the time out there knocking on the door like, I just got let out of prison and the people can't even let me in the door. It's just like a cartoon for some reason. It takes forever for it to dawn on them that Peter could really be out there. They even think it's his ghost or his angel before they go believe it's him. So the next thing Peter does is really interesting. I think this is one of the most powerful things. Everybody's excited, right? They finally open the door, see it's him, probably pinching him a little bit and make sure he's physically there with them. They're super excited. Everybody's making noise. Maybe a party's even starting. And he says, wait a second, wait a second. Hush a minute. Give me a second to tell you something. And he says, I only came here to tell you what God just did. I only came here to tell you that somehow chains fell off, somehow doors opened, somehow I got past 16 guards. And what I want to tell you guys is, look at what happens when you pray like this. Look at the testimony that you have when you pray like this. Now I got to go. I'm not partying with you guys. I just came to tell you, look at your prayers, look at what happened, and I'll see you later. That's amazing. It's amazing to have a testimony like that. Does anybody want to have a testimony like that? I want to see God answer prayers and be able to tell everybody about it. And he has. I have examples. I can tell you about them. I'm not going to tell you about them right now. But I want to have that all the time. I, don't, I want to have more testimony than I have prayer requests. That's what I want to do. I want to spend this much time talking about my prayer requests, this much time praying, and the rest of the time telling all of you what God's doing about it. Because he's doing stuff about it. I want to to praise God for those things. All right, we are ending here. So we're going to end with two things, an action and a challenge. Because I I always have to have a challenge at the end. Challenge is first, then we're going to go into the action. Challenge is in three parts. It's in your notes, sort of each part is there but I'll read them to you. I want you to try to pray through those times this week where you don't feel like praying, okay? And what that might mean and probably does mean is silence. Approach the throne of God first in silence, being prepared to hear what the Holy Spirit's going to put on your heart 
and then praying. And I bet you, I bet you you'll pray through those times where, there's, where it's hard. Part two is pray with new passion. Figure out a way to get passionate. I probably can't tell you how to do that. You've got to decide what's, what makes you passionate. Take an action. Do something that makes you passionate for these people. You probably got to get in people's lives a little bit, understand where they're going from, feel their emotions with them, and you'll get passionate when you're, in, when you're involved with people and you see they're hurting or, or you see how happy they are. You can get passionate. And three is pray expecting something to happen. Pray expecting something to happen. Spend as much time noticing how God answers your prayers as you do asking him for stuff. I'm going to say that one again. That's the hardest one for me, so I'm repeating it for you. Spend as much time noticing what God does as you do asking him for stuff. Because that's where the power comes in. Your faith goes like this. You pray differently when you have that. All right. We saved the congregational prayer to the end because I was going to be talking about prayer today. And I wanted to be able to give you all this good stuff that God's word has to say about impossible things and then have you pray after that. I hope that all of you believe that God can get you through whatever's impossible, that God can free those chains on people's hearts that you're about to pray for, just like he did Peter, just like he did Peter. Those people who you think, They're never going to come to know Christ. I've been praying for them for 25 years. Nothing I've ever said, nothing I've ever done has made any change. Pray for them with new passion today. Because you know what? That shows the belief that we as a church believe God still revives. He's going to revive this town. He's going to revive those people. And if he revives those people, he's likely going to revive other people. And then we have a revival, right? Every revival starts with prayer. Anybody who wants to go back and read through Wesley or read through the different brothers that that they started revivals, it was all because they just prayed and they prayed and then they prayed and God worked. God moved on hearts. So everybody has a name, hopefully. Either they wrote down or it's in their head. And we're just going to have a prayer time. It's not going to be long, but everybody's going to get a chance. If you want to, pray for that person out loud. Pray for that person as if none of the rest of us are here. If you don't feel comfortable saying the name, that's fine. Pray for them anyway. I'm going to start. Keith, would you mind ending for me? Okay. I'm going to start. We'll spend a few minutes. Keith will end, and then we're going to, we're going to eat together and have fellowship together, okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into your presence, God, I pray that you would have the Holy Spirit here teaching us how to pray. God, that our hearts would be trained to pray. That it would be our first response, God. That it would be my first response when good or bad happens. God, I pray that you would make your relationship with these people new to them this week. If there's been quiet, if there's been inactivity for a little while and and people are wondering if you're there, God, I pray that you'd show yourself strong to them, that they would be seeking it. God, I pray that when we come together, we have so many things to talk about because we've been praying. And we've been praying for each other and we've been praying for the lost and we've been praying for this church and we're so excited about what you're doing. God, for me, I pray for for Eric today. 
a man who has always been kind to me and gentle to me, but has never come to know you, God. And I don't want to, I want to see his face in a thousand years. I don't want him to have a different eternity than I do, God. I pray that if it's not me that's going to come through, that it's somebody else, that somebody will be in the right place when your spirit's working on him to bring him to you. God, I pray that you'd keep him up. Don't let him sleep, God. Put, put heavy on his heart his need for you, his need for salvation. And God, whoever it takes, me or someone else, God, I pray that they would be there and use them mightily. And I thank you and I praise you in your name.